And so today, as I'm excited to start this new series on But God Changes Everything, my prayer through this series is that as people come in or as people listen to it online or as people are talking about this, people are going to have their But God moment. That moment when you run in and says, I can't do it, but with God, I can. When we think things are impossible, God says, it's easy for me. When we think we can't build a church, God says, I can. And so as we press into God, as a church, we're going to have our but God moment. And we're going to look back on this and say, this is the day we pressed in and said, but God, this is your church. You do what you need to do with it. And we're just going to press in and follow him. Over the next few weeks, we're, next week we're going to be talking about we're wounded, but God heals us. And then we're going to talk about we're bound, but God sets us free. Then we're going to look at our, our finances, and we're going to say we don't have enough, but God says, I'll provide. We're going to look at the impossible, and with God, it says all things are possible. And then the last week, we're going to say we feel like it's over, but God says I'm just getting started. So when we come to the end of our rope and we think we're at the end of everything, that's where Jesus begins, and he's just getting started. So this morning, we're going to talk about how we wander but God finds us. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you look up from all the chaos, you look up from all the distractions, you look up from your work, you look up from your striving, you look up from your party, and you look up from your I'm having fun, you look up and you heard stories of kids who wander away from their parents, and you just kind of look up and say, how did I get here? How did I get so far off of base? How did I get so far out of line? And with kids, sometimes they just trust people, right? They'll just wander off with somebody, holding somebody's hand and talking, not even thinking anything's wrong. And a lot of times we do the same thing with our walk with God. The reality is we all have a tendency to wander. We all, and this includes wandering from God. Sometimes people wander from God and they don't even know they've wandered. Let's take a look. I'm just going to stop there for a second. Let's take a look at the Pharisees and Sadducees in the Bible. They thought they were point on point with God, didn't they? They thought they were doing everything right. And Jesus came in, and we're going to talk about a couple stories today where he had two groups of people, the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and those who thought they were worshiping God, and then these immoral tax collectors, prostitutes, people that everybody looked down at. And Jesus is talking to both groups this morning. He's not talking to one group or the other group. He's talking to both groups, saying you both have wandered. But I'm here for both of you. I'm going to make a statement later, but I want to make it now because God's kind of prompted me to say it. The feet of grace are swift. The feet of repentance are slow. God's grace will meet you where you're at if you repent. Now, it's hard. It's hard to step up and say, I'm wrong. It's hard to step up and say, God, I messed up. I screwed things up. I've made mistakes. But the Father has swift feet of grace and says, guess what? You're welcome back home. There are some people who've wandered because they've been rebellious. They don't like the fact that they think God set a bunch of restrictions to their lives. And so they just wander away from them. They drift away. 
They quit praying like they used to. They quit reading the Bible like they used to. They quit coming to church and being part of the family like they used to. They quit encouraging each other. And they just slowly wandered away from God. And all of a sudden, they wake up one day. And as we read in our story later on, they end up in the pig pen of life. Wondering wondering how they got there. My story is a simple one. My family wasn't real religious, but we went to church every Sunday. More out of tradition than out of wanting to go to church and hear from God. And so I went to VBS every year. I memorized the verses. I memorized Psalms 1. I memorized a bunch of scripture. And then I went to confirmation because I had to. And so I went to confirmation classes, went every Sunday because I had to take notes so I could get confirmed. And if any of you grew up Lutheran, you know what, you will go to confirmation, and you basically go until you get confirmed because then you graduate and you don't have to go back to church anymore, right? So I got confirmed, and I could stop going to church. Mom says, hey, you want to come to church? I'm like, uh, no, I don't. And so I started wandering. I, kept, I always kept God at arm's length. I never wanted him too close to mess with my life. I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it and have fun when I wanted to have fun. And what God says was fun, I didn't see as fun, so I kept him over here. Now, I would go through, and trust me, I had the scriptures memorized, so they were inside of me. So anytime anybody wanted to talk smack, I had scripture verses just like a Pharisee to throw out at you. Why, you're wrong and I'm right. And so I could just throw anything. I could throw scripture, I mean, anybody try to give me a hard time, I could throw scripture verses out. And we have a tendency to do that today, and I have to watch myself today. Because Jesus says in John 14, 5, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, that can be used as a sledgehammer, or it can be used as an uplifter. Too often we use it as a sledgehammer, saying Jesus is the only way, and if you don't believe anything else, then you're going to hell. Which is true, but how I say it makes a difference. Because Jesus' truth is love. And Jesus' truth is grace. And Jesus' truth is mercy. It's not to condemn. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn people. I came to give them life and give them more abundance. And so my story was a story of wandering away from God. I knew about him. And that's as far as I would let it go. And as I wandered it started to take over more and more of my life. Well, today we're going to look at a few stories in the Bible. But first, can we start off this morning? I just need a show of hands this morning. Can we all agree we wander occasionally? If not, we'll pray for you, and then God will reveal where we wander. Uh Because I do, and that's why my hand's up. I still have tendencies to where I want to wander. I want to wander away from God. I want to do things my way. And if we think we don't, we're probably wandering right now because it's called pride. If we don't think we wander from God, then we're prideful and think we're close to God. And God says, yeah, none of you are righteous, so I need you to slow your roll. And wandering isn't a bad thing. It really isn't. Because God can nudge us back in place if we're moving. If we're standing still, God can't move us. Remember in Revelations, Jesus says, I wish you were cold or hot. I don't want you in the middle. That, that verse always made me wonder what he was talking about. 
Well, basically, he's saying that if you're cold, you don't know me, and I can reveal myself to you. If you're hot, you're on fire for me, you know me, and I can reveal myself to you. If you're warm, you think you know me, and you don't need to change anything. That was just revealed to me. And that's really what God's saying. I want you hot or cold, because either of those two I can use. When you think you know a lot, I can't use you. Because pride steps in. How many of you guys have ever used a GPS when you travel? Uh, nowadays, does anybody go anywhere without a GPS? It was a good thing I had it this weekend, driving two miles from the church to the hotel. In Shakopee, I'm like, I have no idea how to get to this place. And apparently, if you went by this one place, you had to go completely around two miles around because you couldn't turn back and get back in there, I found out. But what does the GPS do when we make a wrong turn? It recalculates. It reroutes us, right? It doesn't say, hey, moron, you're never going to get to where you need to go now. Yes. <laughs> Some of them would be funny. Um, hey, idiot, you missed your turn. Um, that's what God does. We have a GPS. We have the Holy Spirit who is our GPS to our spiritual direction. He doesn't say when we wander off course, hey, idiot, you're never going to get it figured out. He says, hey, let's tweak this and get, let's, let's recalculate, let's reroute you and get you back on course. You're never too far off course not to be put back on course by the Holy Spirit. God has never said we are too far gone. This morning, I'll give you the, where we're going to to start with this morning is Hosea, if you have your Bible. I'll tell you that now just before we get to it because it's in the Old Testament. Not sure you guys know where it's at. Jesus is the best GPS system there is. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, I love you with an everlasting love. And he's obsessed over things that wander. And we're going to find out this morning, and as Rich Wilkerson Jr. talked about at the River Valley Conference this weekend, Jesus is obsessed with lost things. And we can prove it in the Bible this morning. The first scripture we're going to look at this morning is found in Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 2. One of the funniest stories, I think, in the Bible. But it says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. All right. So as you look at that scripture this morning, I want you to think about that story. Okay. Hosea is a prophet. He speaks God's word to the people. He's respected. All right? So he's an important person. God comes and tells him to marry a prostitute. Hosea is, I, I know, dude's mind's got to be just going kind of crazy. Okay? He's like, God, I have followed you. I've spoken your words. We speak together. You want me to do what? Does he say that? Doesn't say he did, though, does it? I would have. But what stuck, I think, with Hosea as he read that wasn't that he was marrying a prostitute, but that he was going to be used as a symbol for God on how Israel had turned its back on God and could always be loved by God. 
God never stops pursuing his people. God's never stopped pursuing you this morning. No matter how far you've run, how far you strayed, God will never stop pursuing us. And in the story, his wife's name's Gomer. And she strays, okay? They get married, had three kids, and after that, I don't know what happened, but she all of a sudden goes back into prostitution. It says, maybe she was chasing money. You know, she didn't like the fact profit probably didn't make a lot of money back then. Or maybe she didn't feel worthy of being married to a prophet, and the stress of having three kids made her run. Maybe she thought she was missing out on some fun part of life. Maybe she thought her former life was fun, and so she just ran into that. She went back to what was normal. All of a sudden, she finds herself traveling down a dark road, and literally, if you read through the rest of that story, she ended up in the sex slave trade. She ended up being owned by somebody for money. So she became a slave. She was a wanderer. She was a prostitute. She was a sex slave. And I want you to see what God's response was to this lady who had strayed so far away. Hosea 3, 1 and 2 says, and I took this out of the message version, then God ordered me, Hosea, start all over. Love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife, love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy, I did it. I paid good money to get her back and it cost me the price of a slave. Okay, so she leaves him. She's out whoring around. I can say that, right? Okay. Literally. And what does God tell Jose to do? Go find her. I'm thinking Hosea said, dude, she know where I live. I ain't moved. She knows the address. She's got my cell phone number. They didn't have cell phones back then, smoke signals, however they commuted. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Drums. God says, the woman who left you, the woman who abandoned you, the woman who cheated on you multiple times, I want you to go find her and bring her back home. How many of you today would say okay? How many of you are like that other person, inclined to say, she left, she knows where I am, if she wants to repent and turn around, she knows where I'm at. God, I've never stopped doing your work. She's the one who ran away. How many of us would prefer to do that? Because that's the easy route. The easy route is to let the lost stay lost and not go and find them. We want them to come to us. We don't want to go find them. And God's saying, no. Go love her like you've never loved her before.
I don't care what she's done. God's same response for us today, bring her home. And the reason God did, did this was to show humanity, to show his people, to show us today when we wander away from him, his response is I'm going to pursue you and find you. So if you've wandered far from God, you don't think you're worth his love, this story is hope for the wanderer because it says, I will find you. So the first point we, we just talked about is we wander, but God is, never stops pursuing us. In this story, God said, I want you to show my people that even though they've turned to other gods, I will love them when they turn and come back to me, when they come home. Some of you might find yourself in that unthinkable position. You can't believe how far you've gone from God. You feel regret. You feel condemnation. You feel worthlessness. You feel three feet from God. And sometimes we feel a million miles from God. But your heavenly father is reckless in pursuing you this morning. He's never stopped chasing you down. He says, I will go out and find you. It doesn't matter what you've done. God wants you to come home, and he's pursuing you to bring you home this morning. The second step we look at in wandering is we wander, but God pursues us to show his love. We see in the previous story that we just read, the sin that, that Gomer had committed was punishable by death. They had every right to stone her and kill her for adultery and prostitution. God says... Slow down. Don't want you to kill her. I had friends ask me, how did me and my wife get through things? How did we get through everything we went through? Trust me, it was not by my strength. I'm going to be transparent real quick. The first phone call I got after everything happened when we separated and I quote, these are the exact words I heard in the phone, don't kill him. Because that's who I was. That's the first thing I heard through tears was don't kill him. Which, of course, didn't make me happy because I didn't care about him. I cared about my family. But that's the point I had wandered so far to that that's who I was seen as. And so when I'm looking at this story and I'm thinking it, and God's saying, go get her. I'm hopping like, are you sure, God? You're asking me to go do something. You know the minute I walk through that door, my emotion's taking over, and I may snap. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to give you time. Because we, we don't know how long it took him to find her, do we? We just know he went and found her. It was about eight months till I found her, which was a good thing. Because God had a chance to do work in me to get me ready. But it proved that God never stopped pursuing me. He never stopped and let me go. The love that God has for us is hard to grasp. Because the love that God has for us doesn't make sense. The love God has for us is an unconditional agape love. Does not care if it's reciprocated. Does not care if we love him back. He just loves. Love is not what God does. Love is who God is. 
And so when we break the law, when we blow it, when we mess up, according to the world, we should be punished. But when we mess up and we screw up and we wander from God, God says, I love you. Now, how many people grew up getting spanked? I got home late. I got whooped. I broke one of my parents' rules. My dad had a car, cardboard siding paddle about three feet long he carved a handle into. All he had to say was, you want me to get the board? I'm like, no, dude, I'll be good. How often do we see our Heavenly Father that same way? When we make a mistake, when we mess up, when we break one of his rules, we're waiting for him to punish us. And that's why people are afraid to run to God, because that's the view they have of God, is that he's waiting and he's sitting up in heaven waiting to punish us. Well, Ephesians 2, 3 through 5 says it this way. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in his mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we have been saved. So Jesus said, yes, we deserve death. But because of what Jesus did for us, we have inherited life. We're going to turn now to Luke 15 and look at, look at the parables in, in Luke 15 of the lost sheep and the lost coin. It teaches us something about his pursuit as well. Remember I talked about how Jesus was talking to the immoral people, the horrible people, the tax collectors, the partiers, the drinkers, the whatever we judge as real bad sin, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people and the people who had it all together. Just, this is how I viewed it. They're on one side of the aisle, and all the bad people on the other side of the aisle. And Jesus is right sitting in the middle of them, talking to both of them. Well, in Luke 15, verse 1, it says, So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture to go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which was lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is teaching us a couple of things here. Us who are comfortable in church, that's who Jesus is leaving. Jesus right now is out in the streets finding the one who's lost and inviting him in. Jesus says, I'm going to leave the 99 who can take care of themselves for a little while because sheep are dumb. 
You put them in a pasture, they will eat all the grass in that pasture until they ate it all. And then they will start eating the excrement until they kill themselves. Sheep are dumb. I think that's why Jesus relates us to sheep. We stay in our holding pattern of our religion, right? We stay comfortable. We don't want to step outside that pasture. So we stay in our church setting. And we kill ourselves with religion. When Jesus said, I didn't come to start a religion. I came to start a relationship with the Father. I came for the one. I came for the one who was lost. The gold coin. How many of you people had a $20 bill and you lost it, would not search your house for it? We're going to look for it. Why? Because it has value. That coin had value. It was a tenth of everything she had. And she then, what, at the end of both stories, I want you to notice this. What did Jesus say they did? They called their friends together and they had a party. There should be celebration in church. Because the one who was lost has been found. The one who had wandered from God has wandered back in. And we celebrate that. Jesus loved lost things and loved to party said so right there so when we get together for our barbecues why are we doing it because we want to get together and celebrate what Jesus has done we get together as a family and we celebrate Jesus says I'm going to pursue my lost sheep I'm going to leave the 99 and the one who is lost, the one who is hurting the one who is feeling all alone I'm not going to stop looking until I find them And that's what we are as a church. We never stop looking for the one. We constantly are reaching out for the one. We constantly are saying, those who are far away from God, God welcomes you home. Those who don't believe Jesus can forgive them says, Jesus, guess what, died on the cross and said, it is finished. Jesus said, it's party time. It's time to call your lost friends. It's time to call your neighbors. It's time to celebrate. Because the one who was lost has been found. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. I came to serve, not be served. And he says, I'm going to pursue you. And when we get lost, God still sees value in you. Your value has never been lost, even though you may not feel valuable. So what we wander, God never stops pursuing us. We wander, but God pursues us with his love. And then we wander, but God welcomes us home. The father has never put up the door and locked the door and says, you're not welcome in my house, has he? No matter what we've done, the father says, with open arms, come home. Throughout all of Israel's mistakes, as we read in Hosea, as we read in the prostitute with Gomer, as we read in our own stories, every time we've wandered from God, God says, with open arms, come here, son, come here, daughter, let me give you a kiss because I love you. We've never wandered so far from God that he doesn't welcome us home. The story of the two sons in Luke 15, the prodigal son, we've named it the prodigal son. It was never labeled. Jesus never labeled it the prodigal son, but he did label it for the people who were there with them that day. The prodigal was the immoral, the tax collectors, the prostitutes who had had wandered far from God, who had taken their inheritance and went and wasted it on prostitution, went and wasted it on partying, went and wasted it on living, and all of a sudden the money was gone, the friends are gone, they're left in the pig pen thinking, this pig slop looks tasty. 
We're going to leave him in the pig pen for a second. We're going to come over here to the other son. He's working hard for his father. He's doing a lot for his father. He's doing everything his father tells him to do, right? He's working. He's getting it done. He's reading his Bible every day. He's showing up at the, at the, at the Sunday mornings. He's showing up on Wednesday nights. He's going through and doing a lot of religious things. He's going to those good concerts. He only watches podcasts that talk about Jesus. He's doing it, he, he thinks. We go back to the pig pen dude. He wakes up and says, my father has slaves that eat more than me. He starts rehearsing a speech. How many of us has ever rehearsed a speech with God? When I pray, this is going to be an awesome prayer because I'm going to write everything down here so I got it all rehearsed so I can tell God exactly how I feel. I want you to notice what happened in this story, though. He gets up. And he takes a step. It a long ways home at that point. I wish I would have had my atlas. It would have been cool to show you how far he had to walk home. What's the response of the father? He sees him in a distance. He runs and meets him. The son's like, just starting to try to get his, you know, saying out, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Just make me a slave. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. This is what he's memorized. The father didn't let him get it out. He hugged him. He kissed him on the cheek, said, get him a robe, put a ring on his finger, get him some sandals. We're going to party. The one who is lost has been found. My son who was gone is back home. You see a theme? One gets lost. Let's celebrate it. The one who gets found, let's celebrate it. Now the other son, he hears a party going on. He comes into church. He hears loud music. He hears a weird preacher preaching different than you should. It should be exit. It should be like line by line, breaking it down, preaching. Why are you doing this topical stuff? That is not biblical. This is what the son's saying to his father in today's words. The son back then is saying, I've been here the whole time, Dad. I'm not going in there. I'm going to take my ball and go home. That's what he did. He pouted like a two-year-old child because he thought he knew it. The father says, everything I have is yours, son. Come in. He's pleading with him to come in. God pleads with us to come into the house. And you knew they had to burn the Pharisees and Sadducees that were sitting there. You knew they were, he, they knew he was talking about them. You guys got, think you got it figured out, but come into the house and party with us. Because my son who was lost, your brother who was lost has been found. He's stinky. He's dirty. He's nasty. He's broke. He's feeling unloved. He's feeling unworthy. He knows he's disappointed his father. He broke all the rules. He abandoned the father. He went away. And the father's response was, when I see him at a distance, I'm going to run up and wrap my arms around him and welcome him home. That verse hit me when I read that. Because I can look back on my life. Even though I knew I wasn't worth it. Even though I knew I wasn't worthy. I still am not worthy for everything God's blessed me with. And yet he is watching with a weathered eye on the horizon to come up and hug you this morning and say, welcome home. My son who was lost, my daughter who was lost, is home, has now been found, and we're going to have a party. So why do I get excited about the stuff of Jesus? That's why. 
Because God, I want God to break my heart for what breaks his. And what breaks his by all the stories we've looked at this morning. And as, as we wander from God, he's always calling us home. And the fourth step we look at this morning as I wrap this up is we wander, but God paid the price to find us. In our story this morning, we see a few but God moments. But there is a but God truth I want to share with you today, and that is we wander, but God paid the price for us. Hosea 3.2 says, I bought her back with 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Some scholars believe a shekel is worth about $80 today. So he paid $1,200 to get his unfaithful wandering bride back. About a year's wages. Because a family could live on a shekel for about two weeks. Okay, they figure he sold the barley, the bushels of barley, because he ran out of money. Now think about this. I have an unfaithful prostitute wife who's cheated on me and is sleeping with her boyfriend, and God says, take all the money you have, sell some other stuff that you have, and go buy her back. Uh-uh, would have been my response. I'm like, can I make payments? What's your payment plan on this bad boy? <laughs> yes, do you have a square so I can swipe my credit card? I put it on credit. He sold everything to buy back his unfaithful wife. Now look what Jesus did for us on the cross. He gave everything for an unfaithful people. So even though we wander, God has paid the price to find us. And Romans 5.8 says it this way. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's about, depending on the version you, version you read in your Bible... There's anywhere from 12 to 20 but God moments you're going to find in the Bible. And we're going to talk about six of them. And some of you this morning that are listening to this here or online may think you're no good. You may think you're not worth it. You may think you're unlovable. You may think you're not worth a penny. But God thinks you're valuable. God thinks you are so valuable that he sent his only son. And he paid the price for you and for me. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. He sent him to die for my sins and for your sins. You see, we wander, but God paid the price to find us. He paid a price to free us, and he paid the price to bring us home.